Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. Whether you're tuning in for the very first time or you're a longtime listener, I am so grateful to have you here. I hope today's conversation resonates with you and finds you right at the time that you needed to hear it. Wellness and Wanderlust is all about making small shifts from within to create our dream lives, and we bring on some pretty amazing guests who help us to do exactly that. This week's episode is brought to you by Zencaster. Podcaster friends, this one is for you. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all of the technical know-how. It records each guest locally, then uploads crystal clear audio and video right into the suite so that you have high quality materials to work with. Whenever I do an interview, I always get so many compliments about the audio quality, so I'm really excited to share this one with you. I've been using Zencaster since my very first episode, so you can get 30% off a Zencaster Pro account using my code Wellness and Wanderlust, all one word, or tap the link in the show notes. I hope you'll check it out. Now on to what everyone has been waiting for today's episode. This week, we're chatting with Mel Miles, international health expert and author of the book Soulcation, Design a Life You Don't Need a Vacation From which launched in April this year. After working at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and helping to launch the global effort to eradicate malaria, Mel found herself hospitalized from a panic attack. In her new book, she shares her healing journey, where she answers the question, in a culture addicted to busyness, is it possible to avoid burnout, unwind anxiety, and feel wild and free again? In this episode, Mel shares how we can redesign our lives around the things we love to do on vacation. We talk about the differences between numbing rest and restorative rest, the power of creating a happy list, rewriting our limiting beliefs, and ways we can incorporate more pleasure and play into our daily rhythms. She shares a lot of practical tips throughout our conversation, so I encourage you to listen back to this episode again and take notes. I'm going to let Mel fill you in more, so without further ado, let's dive into this week's conversation. Hi, Mel. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. It's a pleasure to be here, Valerie. Well, it is such a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited to chat with you. Your book that just came out has a very important topic that relates to, I think, every single listener tuning in today. So before we really dive into that, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. My name is Mel Miles, and I am the author of the book Soulcation, Design a Life You Don't Need a Vacation From, and the founder of the company Soulcation, which helps um, executives in tech and nonprofits and others that want to develop a more sustainable life and design a life they don't need a vacation from achieve their goals while incorporating rhythm of rest and well-being. I'm also just a human being. I also am an executive at a tech company. I spent seven years working with Bill and Melinda Gates, managing their philanthropic portfolio. So I've experienced both in the corporate world as well as the well-being world. And this this new project is an offering to help people that want to achieve their dreams while also keeping their sanity. Well, I think that's something that we all are looking for. And it can be it can be such a struggle. How did you get into this kind of work? What did that journey look like for you? Well, Like I think most people, I got into it through hitting my own rock bottom and pain that forced me to think about if there was another way. So I was managing a billion dollar portfolio for Bill and Melinda Gates and living what I thought was, you know, dream house. I was married, had kind of climbed the ladder and ended up having a panic attack on the bathroom floor of the Gates Foundation, which I didn't even know what a panic attack was. And for people listening, you know, it can be anything from sweaty palms to dizziness to like vomiting 
to kind of shake your body shaking. And it really is just a manifestation of suppressed emotions that, that result in physical illness. And sometimes it's more chronic pain and sometimes it can be kind of quite intense and severe like a panic attack. And I ended up in the emergency room where a doctor in one of the best hospitals in Washington looked me in the eye and said, you can either slow down your work life or you're going to end up in this hospital again. And it really was a reckoning that while I was chasing goals, that I was not tending to the peace and presence of my own life. And I was deeply stuck and unhappy and and suffered from severe anxiety. And I ended up quitting my job, selling everything and traveling the world for 18 months, studying and learning from different healers, Eastern practitioners, Western practitioners. Um, I made a list of, of dreams that I had during that time and achieved almost all of them in terms of hiking the Camino and learning to sail. And it was through pursuing what I call my happy list, which we can talk about and pursuing I like experiments of what might make me happy that I got really interested in the, the merging of different practices to support physical and mental well-being. Well, I absolutely love your story. And I think that it's so important to be able to take from different modalities and take from the different areas of our lives and really incorporate that into our healing. And I think this is something that so many of us can relate to. I think high achieving women, especially who have been taught, they kind of have to do it all. And the burnout is so real. And I'd love to know a little bit about Well, first of all, about that happy list and what were some of the things that took place during that year that you began to incorporate into your life leading into today? Well, I'll start out by telling you things on my happy list and then I'll answer the question about rhythms that I have now incorporated into my life because I truly believe when you're in that moment when you're like, I'm just not sure what will make me happy or I just don't have a hobby or I don't have that spiciness and aliveness and play in life. It can feel really disappointing and frustrated and you're like, oh, another thing I have to achieve or do, right? Like find some hobby I love. So I really approached it as a scientist from an experimentation mindset of like the first best hypothesis. Like I I genuinely don't know. And so I'm going to write a list of things, some of them being expensive things. Like I'll be really honest about, you know, I lived on a beach in Thailand for a month. I, you know, studied in the Amazon jungle. I also sat in silence in a silent meditation retreat for 10 days. So some of these things were bigger, but some of them on that original list were just like eat cheese for dinner and not cook dinner one night a week or take myself to get my nails done once a week or book a monthly spa appointment. So it really was a six month process of building out this list or this happy list of experiments. And it started with smaller, less expensive things and it expanded to bigger things that involved travel. And I think I needed all of those in order to create just spaciousness in my life to really see myself and reflect on where my pain was coming from and where I was out of alignment. And so what I talk about in Soulcation is there's there's power in healing and creating spaciousness in your life because you're your own best inner healer. And when we're running from one thing to the next, we don't often have that time to serve and nurture and heal ourselves. So some of the travel for me was really just a spaciousness and to be curious, to meet other people, to study different cultures. And what it surprised me is even though I took some of these expensive trips, I loved the like afternoon naps and I loved just showing up at a coffee shop with a journal and having no agenda. And it was becoming clear to me that very simple days were really nurturing and gratifying. 
And I would arrive in a place and I actually wouldn't want to see like the museums or the historical sites. I would just want to go for a meal and wander the streets. And so there's this sense of there's something about a lifestyle. And I met it in people, particularly in Europe and some in Asia, that are very slow and conscious and present. And I was so intrigued. And so I ended up doing a lot of interviews with them. And what came out of that is designing a life of simplicity and really enjoying the present moment. So on vacation, what I loved most about vacation, I realized I could do in my everyday life. Like I could not set an alarm. I could have a morning routine. I could take a break in the afternoon. I could live in a place where I'm by the beach so I could be at the beach every day. I could kind of strip away a lot of the chaos and noise to at least become more present with the conscious things that I was choosing to do in my life. And so once I had a a time of experimentation of what I love to do on vacation, I now have designed a life. I live in Lisbon, Portugal, which is a country that's a bit more slower pace in general. And I live by the ocean and I do a lot of things in my neighborhood. I go to the coffee shop every day and run into people I know. Every Sunday I plan like a boredom day where I have nothing scheduled so that I can really just like respond to what my body needs and and once. So there are these things I learned about what I do on vacation, which sometimes is just like sitting on the beach and do nothing, that now I've been able to build into the rhythm of my life where I can say like, I can work six hours a day, take those extra two hours and optimize them for like rest and play. Well, I think that is something that so many of us need right now and how lovely it is. I totally agree sometimes that it is the little things that can really make just such a difference for me. It's that cup of tea in the morning. I just, you know, I have to have it. And it really is powerful when we kind of start to finally put ourselves first in some aspects. But I think that can be so challenging, especially as women, we're taught that we need to care for everybody else. And, you know, we want to be successful in our careers. But at the same time, there may be caretakers and there's all these expectations that we have. So what are your tips for busy women listening to this? How do you start to create that happy list, especially when you're not sure what you're passionate about? Right. So the first thing would be to ask yourself some questions. What did you like to do as a child, right? Or maybe as a teenager before you got lost in responsibility. If you had an extra hour or two in your day, what would you do? Like a lot of women would say sleep. And that's very true because often our bodies can't come into emotional rest until our bodies are physically rested. So oftentimes the beginning of the journey is actually getting like the the sleep and nutrition right so that the body feels safe to do a bit more of the deeper inner work. You can also block time on your calendar, right? Like we would never miss an appointment with our boss or like if our child had a doctor appointment, we would never miss that. So oftentimes I work with executive women that are really great at managing their calendar to get shit done. And how can you actually begin to bring that fierceness and that energy and that gifting that you have into your own well-being to plan and calendar, whether it be, I always say date nights with yourself. So go to a restaurant. If you don't feel comfortable going to a restaurant, maybe go to a park to start, but like building consistent date nights with yourself, traveling alone, 
going to an event alone, things that you actually do alone are really nurturing for cultivating a relationship with self, which is what you need to begin to hear those like whispers of desire and passion and dreams of what might make you happy. And so those are just some of the examples. You could also ask yourself, if money wasn't an issue, what would you do, right? Would you create a business? Would you learn a hobby? Like if you took money out of the factor or if you took time out of the factor. And so lots of times uh, um, a sense of inquiry where you take away the limitations because limitations are, are often self-imposed in our mind. And I believe we actually can create and do anything we desire if we have enough safety in our body. And so oftentimes um, even scripting like what your ideal day would be like I'll encourage women to, they can set goals of like maybe what you want to do or women are great at making a list, but how do you want to feel when you get out of the morning? Like what do your bed sheets feel like and what would be the clay coffee mug you would drink out of and what would be the view you would like look out over and um, what would you do first, right? Like what would you, when you open your computer, what would you open first? Or if you opened your phone, who would you message or kind of like, what would you like to hear from friends? So a lot of this like scripting work, that's a bit different from manifesting station in the sense that you're bringing in how do you want to feel because I believe we're driven often by how we want to feel in our lives and we think that by achieving things we'll feel that way which isn't always the case so those are just some exercises you can do to begin to tap into what might make you happy well I absolutely love that I think that you know sometimes it really is just sitting down and being honest with ourselves and getting curious that's something that you know I think about that a lot about what I enjoyed as a child and how does that play into my career today? Am I getting some of that in my personal life? How am I incorporating those things? And I think, you know, I I love what you said about that time alone too. Doing a little bit of solo travel has been so fun for me because you get to really figure out what do you enjoy doing and create that schedule for yourself without the limitations of, you know, sometimes being with other people, you are concerned about what they want to do and all of that, which is always, you know, it's always great to go on a vacation with friends, but to get used to and start to embrace even just going to a restaurant or the movies by yourself. That was so powerful for me when I finally kind of got into that. Absolutely. The most important relationship we have is the one with ourselves. And it's often the one that we neglect the most, right? It's like we'll neglect ourselves for the job or for the family. And so coming back into how would you treat a child, right? It's like we have these different parts of ourselves. I don't know if you've ever talked about internal family systems or the psychology of of parts of us on this podcast, but we have this probably like mothering part of us and we have this responsibility part of us. And maybe we have this inner child part of us and there's lots of different parts of us, but they often can be at war right? It's like the responsible part of us feels like we have to get through our to-do list before we can play or rest or think about what we want. And often it's a lot, we learn that as a child for how we received love. And so part of the work of spending time with yourself is really just to nurture the, like the inner child that hasn't been heard or like the inner healer or this like inner mother that has something to stay as well. And it's just by identifying and witnessing the parts of us that have been neglected and spending a bit more time in, in listening and listening can be journaling, it can be walking, it can be meditating, like there's so many practices, but it's really about beginning to like name and identify the parts of us that have been neglected that are, are, are really blocking us from honoring our wants, needs and desires and beginning to give them voice and language and talking to them tenderly like, oh, I'm so sorry, little Mel, like 
I know little Mel has wanted just to like take a nap in the middle of the day and be with her friends at night instead of on her computer. And I'm so sorry that little Mel has like literally not been able to do that in one whole year. And those are the types of conversations we can start to have in our mind that really help us get over the people pleasing ways, or the perfectionist ways. You know, like women use a lot of those words and it's not that that part of you is wrong. It's just that that is one part of you, right? That wants to achieve and it really needs to be integrated with the other parts of you. I completely agree with that. And I love that inner child work. That's something that we haven't gotten into a lot on the podcast, but something that, you know, I've personally, at, finally at 31, started to learn about. And it's amazing to see how our childhood experiences shape the things that we do and the way we show up in our relationships and all of that. And so it's been definitely a journey for me more recently kind of learning about that. And it really is eye-opening once you start to really tap into, you know, what that time period was like for you and evaluating from there. So I, I really love the idea of focusing on that inner child and talking to that inner child. I think that is just so cool. And I, I also think you're right that the perm- sometimes we just don't give ourselves that permission I think we want to make other people happy. We, you know, we want to do the things that are on the checklist. So I think definitely thinking about how you want to feel, that's something that I actually need to start incorporating into my own life. But I think, I think it is so important for us to start to think about what it is that makes us happy and how we want to feel at the end of the day, because you could get everything done on your to-do list, but if it's not serving you in some way, if it's not filling up your cup, at least some of the things on that list, then you aren't going to get that rest. You aren't going to be feeling fulfilled. And I think that burnout is so real, especially now. Absolutely. And the definition of burnout for people who don't know is it's three things. One, it's just apathy. So like not caring about people or things you used to care about. It is dissociation. So Becoming distant, whether that's numbing or dissociating or pulling away, it's a sense of you're no longer connected to the things you used to be connected with. And then the third component of burnout is emotional exhaustion. And this is one that I believe is the biggest struggle for women, right? Emotional exhaustion is caring too much for too long about too many things. And so anyone who cares too much too long about too many things is on the path to burnout. And, you know, stats show that over the course of your lifetime, almost every human is going to experience it. It is an epidemic. I'm a public health professional by training. I believe it is an epidemic. I think the word can have some stigma, but the goal is really to identify where you're caring too much for too long about too many things far earlier so that you don't actually get to a point of shutdown, right? Where 70 to 90% of all doctor's visits right now are stress related because we're putting so much pressure, caring about too much for too long, about too many things on our bodies and and it's manifesting in chronic disease, back pain, skin issues, so many things. So just for people listening, when you hear the word burnout, because I literally was one of those, like in the emergency room, I told the doctor I was not burned out, right? I was like, I'm high functioning. I'm high capacity. I travel for work. I manage my household. So I think I just want to acknowledge the complexity of the definition and also how hard it is to admit to ourselves when we're burned out. I mean, it's so true. I think that emotional exhaustion is so, so real. I've certainly experienced it myself, but yeah, identifying before you get to that point, it can be so hard because we really do often, you know, as you said in in our intro, a lot of people get into what they do because of that rock bottom moment. But if we can avoid the rock bottom moment or not come back to that place, 
I think taking that self-care and really taking that time to focus on that now will help you avoid any issues in the future. Absolutely. And I guess also as a public health professional, prevention is the best cure. And our bodies are only able to sustain so much for so long. And this act of self-care is really so integrated into our physical health. And I mean, we go, I actually don't believe a lot in like diagnosis and labeling, right? We, we have anxiety, we have depression, we have PTSD, like all of these things are real. I mean, I've taken medicine for it. I totally believe it in clinical treatment. But the root of all of that, I think, is not feeling safe in ourselves or not feeling safe with our identity, not feeling safe in our body, whether that's safety to express our truths or safety to pursue our dreams. And so it, for me, solcation is all about creating the tools and the spaciousness in life to always be able to return back to say, inner safety. And that's the definition of resilience, right? We can't control who dies or when we lose our job or if a breakup happens or like there's all sorts of tragedies and, and my story included death and loss and breakup and that we can't control. And so all we have is our, our resilience and our ability to create inner safety and inner nurturing so that when the emotion of grief comes, when disappointment comes, when deep sadness or anger comes, that we're able to hold that and, and alchemize it and move through it. I believe that really is like the superpower of well-being. I love that because I think often, you know, when we are talking about burnout, you know, you're talking about disassociating and something that I've done and I think that many women do that they don't realize is a disassociation is just making ourselves more busy and filling our calendars. And it often does affect our physical health. And I've had times where I really wasn't getting the sleep I needed. I wasn't getting the nutrition I needed. And my body did react. You, you mentioned the back pains and that was, that was me. I had a heat pack on every single day. Um, no injury that caused any of this, you know, muscle aches, all of that. So just to kind of create that toolkit a little bit so that when we do experience those difficult moments, instead of getting to that point where we're just so exhausted that basically we, you know, we have given up, we've gotten to that point of apathy that we can move through it. I'd love to know a little bit about how we can create that resilience through that soulcation lifestyle. Great question. So I have a soulful framework in my book, which I encourage anyone can read. It's available on Amazon and it's kind of the core middle section of Solcation book. But maybe I'll just share a few of the steps in this podcast, one of them being to observe our emotions. So O, o is for observation. And one of the things that we can we can only react to what we know and feelings really live in our body. And so I did this in my practice. I encourage my clients to do it, to every day write down what you're feeling. And I have this little feelings wheel because I think some of us don't actually have a lot of voca emotional vocabulary to support us in talking about how we're feeling. And really that is like gold in terms of creating human connection and understanding ourselves is the vocabulary we have to identify, name, and speak our feelings. So observing our feelings and just like no judgment, right? Because I think we often create a story around an emotion and that's what causes us stress and pain. And an emotion actually is literally just a neurological firing that lasts in our body about 90 seconds. And often everything else is the story we've created around that emotion, usually from childhood when if that emotion was loud or how our caregivers reacted to that emotion, so I always say observing your emotions, and if you can't every day write down whether it be one emotion or five, whatever you're feeling. Another great question you can ask yourself is if, the, if these emotions had words or if this sensation had words, what would it tell you? 
because that's that's beginning to get in touch with your your body intelligence, your inner intelligence in a new way. And so I think observing your feelings when I'm doing this job, do I feel out of alignment and stress? When I'm with this person, do I actually feel good? Right? When I choose to sign up for this activity, does it make me feel the way I want to feel? Oftentimes people are doing things that actually is like a full body no for them that they don't want to do, but they just don't have like the courage or the information that it makes them feel bad. And so they keep on doing it. So that would be observe your feelings. And then a second one would be rewrite limiting beliefs. So belief work, it can be quite challenging. It takes so much time, but oftentimes busyness comes from a a belief. Well, I believe busyness comes from internalized capitalism, which is essentially a belief system that I have to be productive in order to be loved or happy. My identity comes from what I do. I have to achieve to earn my place in this world. I am what I produce. I mean, all of these might sound extreme, but it comes from a capitalist economic system that has embedded our psyches and all of a sudden becomes internalized and that all of us probably have parts of internalized capitalism, which is a belief system driving why we have to stay busy or why we have to produce or achieve or get everything done on our list and really be getting to notice those beliefs and then like writing alternative beliefs really helps us to say, I actually don't want to be busy, right? I want to be enjoying life and savoring it and feeling every ounce of pleasure I can. That's what I really want. And I might think that the new job or the new person or the new like promotion will get me to how I want to feel, but it actually won't. And it's funny, I lived in a town during COVID that was very much attracted retirees and vacationers. And it was my everyday life. And it was just such a um, reminder that oftentimes we wait till we retire or after this ending milestone, after this next step, then I'll do the thing I want to do. And yet you have people in this city that have a lot of money, but feel like lost and are asking me how they can be happy and how they can find purpose. And so it's such a reminder, you know, we all have the opportunity to do this work now. And like you can live in a a town where lots of people retire in now, right? Like you could pick up and move your life to the beach and work remotely like that we're in 2022. It's so an option. So those are just a few. Yeah. um, Observing our emotions and rewriting limiting beliefs are two of the important steps in designing a life you don't need vacation from. Well, I think those are fantastic and definitely something that listeners should be kind of keeping in mind as you kind of move forward with your soulcation journey. I love that observe your emotions aspect too, because I think a lot of times at the end of the day, we're just thinking, I feel bad or, you know, it was a good day, but we don't really think about, you know, really what contributed to that, what we're actually feeling because bad, and I say that in quotations because I don't think any emotion really is bad or good. And they're just our emotions, but kind of really identifying and getting honest with yourself about what led to that point. But I think that curiosity is so important to us. So I love taking the time to really write that down and start to think about how our day plays into how we're feeling. And are there any patterns around that? And then the limiting beliefs, I I have to laugh about the busyness too. Um, I am definitely somebody who, again, I used to fill my calendar completely. I've gotten better kind of being forced by the pandemic. But yeah, knowing that we don't have to be productive in order to in order to be a worthwhile human being, I guess. And how do we reframe that belief that we are what we produce and kind of move past that point? Mm, Yeah. So you literally have to 
set a goal often of like, I call it the lazy. Well, I did right for a while. It was like channeling my lazy Mel. And it sounds so silly, but you almost have to like have this caricature or alter ego version of yourself. That's like, what would lazy Mel do? Right? Like we all know, like the normal Mel would say yes and respond to all the emails. Um, But there's this version of lazy Mel that might just like totally ignore it or like take the afternoon off and go to the beach. And I always find if we can like channel this alter character of ourselves every once in a while, it makes it a very fun and entertaining way to be like, okay, like what would lazy Mel do today? And of course you're not lazy Mel, but it's really just shifting the pendulum And I actually do find, and I want to say this to your listeners, sometimes the pendulum has to swing to the other side a little bit before it can come back to equilibrium. And people will often, it can feel jarring or really uncomfortable, but often coming into balance is allowing ourselves to swing between edges. And right, if we can just get the pendulum to swing a little bit farther to the lazy male side, it really helps us. And that's where the happy list comes in because you can't you can't pursue those things that are more about joy and fun if you don't know what they are. But once you get excited about something else, right? Like what else excites you? What else makes you happy? What else do you like literally wake up and want to do? Like once you begin to write those hypotheses down, come up with your happy list, you know, then you literally have like a fun list. So I recommend, and I actually have a planner that's available on my website where people, you know, you plan your morning routine, there's space to write down your feelings every day. And you write down your three work priorities. I believe we do things in three. So I always say like you can't do more than three meaningful things in a day for work. So it gives you space to like write out your work priorities, but then you actually also write three things you commit to do for rest and play. So it's like you're in the planning of your calendar. You're intentionally planning your rest. And I, I always say that deceleration time, like right at the five o'clock hour when the workday usually ends is like such a critical time. If you have a deceleration activity, which is an activity that really brings you into a rest mode and really like book ends your day can be really helpful for the mind. But when we don't do that, it's really easy to kind of like be checking email at night and in productivity Mm -hmm. mode. And so the more people can be thoughtful and actually strategic about their rest, I think the more likely you are to actually achieve that balance. I love that concept because I I think, again, you create your to-do list, but we're not really on your to-do list. It's really just those things that have to get done, quote unquote, you know, those tasks, very, very task oriented things for work and for your household and what have you. But I think when it's on our calendars and it's something that we have planned out, I love the idea of actually planning out your rest too, because you're so right. Five o'clock rolls around and you definitely are still, many of us are still checking emails and responding to emails and already thinking about what's happening the next day and focusing on that rather than just taking that time at home or wherever you might go after work to unwind and kind of decompress for the day. Definitely something I noticed that for myself when I was on vacation and I was on a mountain and I responded to a non-time sensitive email. That was kind of my wake up call of, hey, maybe this is something to create more presence in my life. Really, I think to, yeah, to take that time to decelerate and to stop working and to kind of shift your mindset into that next phase. So I absolutely love that. And the idea of just writing it down so that it actually happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I always say women are the best. Like women run the world. They're so good at optimizing for time, managing calendars, keeping things organized. Like let's use this as an asset. Like we are good at this. 
And we just need to begin to give ourselves permission to prioritize ourselves and bring that same gusto into our own play, pleasure, and rest. And I use the words play and pleasure often, and I think it can make women uncomfortable because they're not always words used in conversation, but I bring them into the you know, Soulcation Company because I believe pleasure is our birthright. Pleasure is something that heals us. Pleasure is this beautiful thing that can be manifested in so many different ways. But I just want every woman on the planet to be successful and also be able to access pleasure. And planning pleasure feels a little bit silly at first, but awakening the pleasure within just allows us to have the sensation of experiencing everything, right? Like how can doing the dishes be more pleasurable or how could our commute to work be more pleasurable or how can getting ready be more pleasurable or even like simple acts of putting lotion in our body after the shower and how could that be more pleasurable? So bringing, like not compartmentalizing pleasure into one area of life, but really bringing pleasure and asking ourselves how we can bring it into so many dimensions of life is really helpful. I absolutely love that focus on play and pleasure because it really isn't something we think about. We are so focused on that to-do list. And I think oftentimes we don't even know what it is that brings us pleasure. And there are so many times I'll do something so little for myself that didn't cost that much money, didn't take that much time, but it made my day. And it's something that we have to really evaluate and really think about. So I absolutely love that focus. Now we talked a little bit about that rest too, because I think our health, our physical health and our emotional health really do play into one another. And in your book, you talked about restorative rest versus numbing rest. I know I'm someone who has gone through times where I'm sleeping eight hours a day and I'm exhausted. What exactly, can you talk about restorative and numbing rest and a little bit about, you know, the differences and how we can kind of get to that restorative phase? Ah, yes. This is a chapter everyone loves in the book. So there are two types of rest that literally what type you choose to participate in will define a lot of your trajectory of physical and mental health. And that's just like proven by the evidence. Um, And the two types of rest are restorative and numbing. And it actually goes back a bit to the, the planning piece in that they've done studies of like executives and busy working moms. And we all think we have less rest than we do. So essentially when an independent person is actually observing how you spend your time versus how you report how you spend your time, you always think you have less rest than you do. And often the people where there's like a bigger gap between how much rest they think they have and how much rest they're really doing, those are the people that engage in more numbing rest. So numbing rest is really when we're just checking out, right? It's when we push ourselves to the brink. So, you know, binge watching Netflix or, you know, not making any plans and just like scrolling our phone or, I mean, drinking can be numbing rest. It also can be like beautiful and connecting. It depends. So all to say, everyone has a different version of numbing rest, but it's essentially rest that doesn't make you feel better at the end of it, right? Like, you know, when you go to a party when you're exhausted and you're like just fighting to like talk to people and you can't wait to get out of there and go home, like that's numbing rest or, you know, when you agree to a volunteer activity and the day comes and you're sick and you like go anyway, like those types of things where you're really denying what your body like needs, wants and desires versus restorative rest is when you actually feel better and more energized after it. So it could be, you know, a Netflix show, but it also could be like a bath or a walk in nature or an intentional date with a friend or lover or any like hobby that you're pursuing. But it's anything where you actually feel your body feels softer 
and more relaxed and your mind feels more at peace and excited after than when you started, which essentially means it's, it's a rest that's bringing you back into regulation. Your nervous system is coming back into regulation through that restorative rest versus your, your nervous system essentially just being stuck and still and in a numbing mode. And we talked about internal safety earlier, but you're only going to get to that internal safety if your nervous system has the capacity to come back into regulation. And so restorative rest brings you to regulation. Numbing rest doesn't. And that literally just means you're 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 a bit more frozen in like a sympathetic, you know, in neurology, it's like a your your sympathetic nervous system is more activated. Yeah. And so we all like even if we have a half an hour a day, it might seem like a not not a lot, but if you can spend that half an hour in a restorative rest activity, such as leaving your phone behind and going on a walk by yourself in nature. Versus that half an hour in um, numbing rest, such as scrolling Instagram for half an hour, which we all probably do, <laughs> it literally will change your biology. And over years and years, that's built that builds up to whether you're a more healthy person or a more sick person. I think that's such a great point too, because I definitely get the notifications on my phone about my screen time, and I I think we all have, and we've been a little shocked at how much time we're spending on our phones or how many hours that we were watching Netflix before Netflix asks if you're still even there. And it, it really is so true because many of us will tell ourselves, I don't really have time to focus on what makes me happy. I need to get these things done and that's what I have to do. But there really is a lot of time in the day that we don't really account for. And I think kind of getting into that place of intentionally planning that restorative rest, I'm an introvert. So, you know, sometimes it is staying at home or doing those things by myself rather than going to the party if I know I'm going to be absolutely depleted. But I think that's so important to be really thinking about. Yeah, it literally means everything in terms of there's such a big connection between rest, emotional well-being and physical well-being. And so for anyone who also you know, our entry point into this work can be various problems, right? It, it could be something tragic like a end of a marriage or a death. It could be something like a, a physical illness that's chronic and not going away. It could be, you know, work challenges. Like I, I think our entry to this can be can be varied, but the solutions are often quite similar. And that's how do we create space in our life to regulate our nervous system, to engage in in restorative rest, and restorative rest is by nature going to bring our body to a place of having more clarity about what we want and desire and give us that direction and purpose in our life. So I believe conversations about purpose and direction are very linked to, to conversations about how we rest and how we nurture the relationship with ourselves. Absolutely. I think that definitely is so important. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that physical well-being. And I think that's something we neglect often as busy working women. We might work through lunch or sleep is definitely one of those things that we might be lacking. But there are a lot of things we might be sacrificing in order to be that successful human being. And I'd love to know for you, what health changes do you recommend for people who are starting this location journey? Any patterns that come up and any changes that you often find yourself um, recommending? You know what? It really depends on the individual because there are times when I actually recommend like no exercise or no going to the gym for women that have used 
health as a form of control and it just really hang tightly onto like a, a perfect eating and exercise ritual where it actually isn't as wholesome and you know they just need to experience what it's like to let go of control so maybe like rather than running for an hour maybe they just go for a, a walk or a yoga class there actually are some women where I invite them to like release control and trust what their body needs so being more intuitive like do I actually feel like high impact exercise today or do I feel like just like slow stretching and to be able to trust to honor that because this work is actually about trusting what the body needs rather than forcing the body to do something it doesn't want to do. And this works like kind of mentally in terms of how we navigate the world, but also our physical body. So there actually are times when we do experiments of, you know, this is intuitive eating and intuitive exercise rather than adding things back in. There also are times where, I mean, I mentioned sleep, which I think is the most important. But also, of course, I think eating can be an act of love. One of the best advice I've ever got is that you should chew your food 25 times per bite. And I got this from a great nutritionist. And it is true, like digestion is very much linked to well-being and quite important. And we should chew our food about 25 times each bite, which I never did. But I also think it's an act of slowness, right? Like to bring a sense of like love and slowness and intentionality into how we eat our food rather than like stuffing french fries in our face like if we have to chew our french fries 25 times before we swallow it like we're going to be more mindful right before eating that and so that's that's another practice to begin to build a relationship with our body and what we're putting into it in a way that's conscious because i think health can kind of be control and managing our body or it can be conscious and loving our body and the goal is for it always to be conscious and loving our body. And sometimes that means sleeping in and doing, you know, not a lot. And sometimes that means really pushing our edge. Absolutely. I know that, and you mentioned lazy Mel, you know, earlier in the conversation. And I had a lazy weekend this weekend. I absolutely needed it. And that's something that I would have given myself a lot more judgment for in the past, but something that really restored me for the week ahead. And I also really think that eating is something that we think about what we're eating. We put a lot of guilt, I think, around that. And um, I, I hadn't heard chew your food 25 times, but I'm going to have to now pay a little more attention to that. But I found for me, I was definitely eating as a form of self-numbing especially in college and early into my career. And you're not even enjoying the food. So it may be that you're having that that, that French fry binge, but you're not even taking the time to enjoy each bite and really appreciate it. So these days, I really do try to think about, is this something that I actually really love? Or am I just grabbing this because I need to distract myself from X, Y, and Z and kind of being more intentional around that? Because I do think that you can eat the quote unquote unhealthy thing and it can bring you joy, but really being intentional about it and understanding that it is something that's going to make you happy. You know, maybe it's a special dish from a family member. Maybe you're traveling and it's a dish from a particular culture. It's your favorite restaurant. I had cookies delivered to my apartment last week and that truly made my day because it's from this special bakery not too far away. But really kind of thinking about that a little bit more and kind of detaching that guilt around food and also that numbness and really just kind of focus on what do we really enjoy and what's going to really nourish and fulfill us. Exactly. The more we can be responsive to our bodies rather than prescriptive to our bodies, I think the more we move into health. Absolutely. And that's a, definitely something anytime we talk about intuitive eating on the show, that's something listeners always write in about because it's something that we all are craving. We all want to know how to 
how to listen to our bodies, but that can be really, really difficult. So I really think that's important. Do you have any tips to develop that intuition? I think writing down your feelings or like writing down what you want, need, desire is very important because then you know you're taking an action in alignment with what you want, need, or desire rather than for whatever reason it might else it might be for control or for certain looks or it's just like bringing awareness. Do I want this? Do I need this? Do I desire this? All of those are okay. But yeah, I'm not actually a nutrition specialist. I was a college athlete and recovered from an eating disorder, but it's not my area of expertise as a public health professional. Well, I do think, though, that that writing down your feelings is so important. That's something that definitely has helped me when it comes to not only food, but also exercise and making those healthy decisions that are going to make me feel better and kind of recognizing that I've certainly put a lot of pressure on myself to exercise in order to look a certain way, but recognizing that, hey, if I exercise in the morning, I operate so much better at work. I'm nicer to my friends and family. I function better. And so to kind of recognize that and to know when it's not going to be restorative for you, when it's going to put more strain on your body. So I absolutely love that. Now, do you have any other tips for how we can lead that soulcation lifestyle and changes that we can make in our lives that seem to come up quite a bit with your clients? Yes, not working eight hours a day. So there was a a big study done in the UK measuring how many actual productive hours the average government UK employee works, and it's 4.4, I believe. And so we, you know, we live in a world where we're not working, most of us in like manufacturing and, you know, need to show up eight hours a day. And so what I believe we need to do is actually take that mindset away and get clear on what we need to do to make the most impact, be productive and deliver results. And so many of us more and more are working for results-based companies. And so if you can literally kind of pull away from that, I have to work eight hours a day. Um, I'm an executive at a company and we're embedding this into our culture to give people freedom to you know, work mornings and evenings and get their work done as they need. That really opens up a bit more time for you to embed the, the rest, play, and pleasure into your life. So you can change your mindset that you don't actually have to work eight hours a day to achieve your job, which literally the research says people aren't anyway. Um, you can use that time rather than in usually numbing rest, right? Just like checking your email and Instagram during your work hours. You can use that for restorative rest and a lot more pleasure in your day. Well, I really love this location lifestyle. This is something that I think so many of us crave and we don't realize it. So I I absolutely love what you're doing. I love the concept of this soulcation. And I think this is something that everybody needs to start really looking into and incorporating into our lives in order to feel more fulfilled and to be happier and to be healthier. Now, before I let you go, how can our listeners find you and connect? And tell us a little bit more about your offerings as well. So I'm online at takeasolcation.com as well as on Instagram at takeasolcation. But I have a free masterclass, which is the five shifts that you can make to design a life you don't need a vacation from. It's my core teaching that I've made free recently. And so you can download that free training at takeasolcation.com or you can buy the book. It's available on Kindle, paperback, um, anywhere books are sold, um, distributed by Amazon all over the world. And the title of the book is Location, Design a Life You Don't Need a Vacation From. Perfect. And I absolutely love your book. I recommend it to all listeners. Mel, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story and your tips with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Valerie. 
I absolutely loved chatting with Mel and found so many great takeaways from both her book and our conversation on the show. Burnout and anxiety are all too real in 2022, and I think most, if not all of our listeners, have experienced that level of exhaustion at one time or another. I know that I am currently going through it myself, and when we talked about those limiting beliefs, that belief that we must be productive and that we are what we produce is something that really, really stuck with me. I've struggled with that productivity myth for a long time. Being under the weather these past couple of months, you can hear it in my voice, and not performing at my optimum level has been really, really hard on my self-worth as someone who's always trying to get things done, quote unquote. So rewiring that belief and allowing my inner lazy Val to lead the way from time to time is something that I've needed to do for a while. I hope Mel's message resonated with you just as much as it resonated with me. I've linked Mel's information in the show notes along with her book, Soulcation. We didn't really talk about this in the interview, but Mel also hosts her own podcast, Soulcation with Mel Miles, and I've linked that as well. Be sure to connect with her. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in and for sharing this part of your day with me. It means the world to me. If you have a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at Wellness and Wanderlust blog or by email at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, at wellnessandwanderlust.net. One of the best ways that you can lend your support to the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in from. It helps other people find the show better. It lets us know what you think, and it takes just a few minutes out of your day. So if you're tuning in from week to week, I would absolutely love to hear what you think of the show. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I can't wait to see you next week.